This is episode 185 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Emily Hornback. She is a board-recognized specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and currently serves as a clinical educator and adjunct instructor, instructor for Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Emily teaches introduction to clinical processes and procedures at the undergraduate level and provides direct patient care at the local hospital. In addition, she also co-teaches theater and therapy and activity-based intervention program for adults with disabilities. She is a member of the North Carolina Speech, Hearing, and Language Association, where she serves as convention vice chair, North Carolina Association of Supervisors in Speech, Language, Pathology, and Audiology, where she serves as the membership coordinator and treasurer, Dysphagia Research Society. She is blessed to be a part of the MedSLP Collective, where she also reviews resumes for fellow MedSLPs. Emily has presented at the national and state level, focusing on dysphagia and feeding difficulty in patients with dementia and end-of-life considerations. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, so good to see you. I'm so excited to have you on. So I'm Emily Hornbeck. I live in Boone, North Carolina. I graduated from Appalachian State University, where I now work in 2012. I did my undergraduate and master's degree here. Um, I started off working in Hickory in a skilled nursing facility and then transitioned back up to Boone. And my experience has primarily been in medical SLP land. So skilled nursing facility, I'm now in acute care, kind of doing a little bit of everything, but I'm a clinical educator for the university. I really enjoy taking students and I've taken students since 2013. Awesome. All right. Love it. And what are we going to talk about today? We are talking about how to present your best self on your resume. Yay! I love it. So um, Emily is one of our resume reviewers, that we would say resume reviewers for the MedSLP Collective. It's something that we provide to our members. And it was something that, you know, I think we just kept seeing a need, like, will people review my resume? Will people review it? And then I would see people review it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a bad resume. So I really wanted to make sure that we got someone that has extensive experience reviewing resumes, but also would give helpful feedback and help to actually craft a really good resume. Because I'll say in, you know, in the amount of hiring that I've done for, for roles in the collective, resumes are everything. You know, it's it's your very first impression or very first chance to make a good impression. And I know sometimes I just, you know, read the top few lines and I'm like, nope, not going to be a good candidate where they might be a wonderful candidate. And then there's others that just have these 
incredibly detailed, well-thought-out resumes that I'm like, yes, this is the person. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited to talk about this topic today because it's really can make or break your chances of getting a job. Yes. So just like you said, I feel like it's what forms your first impression of somebody without seeing them when you're deciding if they're going to be called in for an initial interview or whatnot. So it is really important. All right. So where should we start? So I've kind of broken it down into like, to me, the biggest thing is like just coming across like professional and humble. Um, so it, it kind of comes across as a visual, like there's like a visual, like the very first thing I look at in a resume is visual stuff and then content. So when it comes to your resume, it's really important. Um, you, you guys know, so I review resumes for the collective. So I've reviewed hundreds. I think I'm on like 200 and something right now. Um, usually they take me about 15 to 20 minutes a piece to look at one, depending on, unless it's really good. And then it might just be five minutes, but most people, I have some suggestions of some form for them. But the very first thing I look at is just the overall visual appearance. This happens immediately when I open your file, immediately I'm looking at, is this organized? Um, are they capitalizing on their white space? Meaning, you know, I know like an old school of thought used to be, you had to, Um, just one page. Everything had to fit on one page. And I don't really, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I don't really feel like ours have to fit on one page as long as you're using your space well. But if you're not using your space well and you have like three pages, I think that that's not okay. So first thing I'm looking at, you know, is there a ton of white space or have you extended your margins? A lot of times somebody will send me a format that kind of it's like a pre-developed format that they've downloaded. And so they'll have like different margins, like on the right, on the left. And visually, it's just really overwhelming. You have to think about what do you want this person to look at your resume and see first thing? You want them to see your name. You want them to see your credentials. You want them to see when you graduated. You want them to see your clinical experience. So if you have other stuff on there, also, you also want to see certifications and license. Those things are really important. Um, especially if you have tons of certifications and you have tons of experience, like your MDTP and your MBSIMP and you have your fees competency, those things. So really think about when you're crafting your resume, what do I want this person to see first thing? When I was in undergrad or when I was in graduate school, I remember my supervisor told me, whenever you meet a patient, you have what, like 30 seconds, no, three seconds to form like a good first impression and you lose one because you're young. So when it comes to a resume, I mean, as soon as someone looks at it, what do you want them to see immediately? You want them to see that you're organized and that you're using verbiage and things that are professional. Another thing, and this is a me thing, again, all these things are just kind of my opinion. Sometimes I notice people using like a lot of capitalizations. And even on my resume, like I have things like bolded and capitalized, like different headers, but you really want to balance that. And I feel like it's the same as like when you're on an internet forum and you're responding to somebody, you're not going to respond to them in all caps because that comes off like, woo, you know? So (laughs) don't put your name on there in all caps, put it on there, you know, in normal print because you don't want to come off too strong. Right. And you're thinking, this is a resume. What is she talking about coming off strong? These things matter in my opinion. So do you have neat, crisp lines on your resume? Those things are important. So when you have your bullet points, all of your bullet points need to line up in a straight line. So you shouldn't, they shouldn't be um, inconsistent. A lot of times when I'm editing resumes, I would say 50% of it is just making sure things are crisp and clean and organized. I already kind of mentioned that I'm not a huge fan of most templates just because I'm a basic kind of person. Like 
in my personality type, I'm a minimalist. Please do whatever you feel most comfortable with. But, and I do, you know, there's lots of different ways to present yourself, but I'm just not really a fan of them because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like most of them were not designed for SLPs. They were designed for business majors or graphic design or somebody that maybe they don't have a ton of stuff to say and they don't have a ton of stuff that they want. Like each of our clinical placements, we really need to describe who we're providing services to because we know that we provide services across the lifespan and it can be so different. So I would steer away from those unless you download one and you kind of make modifications to it again to capitalize on that white space. A lot of times people will put references on their resume. And my advice is they kind of take up a lot of room. So I would suggest instead definitely having your resumes typed up. That always looks really nicely, but maybe not giving them on the same page as your resume, just maybe having them as an additional page. When you take, when you go to that interview, have them ready to pass to somebody. I wouldn't necessarily just disclose my references without that initial interview, just because they're going to ask permission before they contact them anyways. So I just think it takes up room on a resume. It makes your resume even longer. And it kind of seems like it's fluff. And that's another thing. When it comes to your resumes, I see a lot of fluff. So we can kind of further... Do you see a lot of fluff when you're reviewing them? 100%. And that's when I'm like, okay, where are they going to tell me how they can help my company and what they can do and how they can help patients? Okay, where? how am I going to get to that part? I don't see it. Okay, goodbye. I hate fluff. Fluff is like, I don't really know what to put here. So I'm just going to kind of repeat myself and... It doesn't really tell you anything. Right. Some examples of things I see are like, you know, I provide speech language cognitive services. And I see that over and over. And I'm like, I know you do because you're an SLP and you're awesome. (laughs) So tell me what you really do. (laughs) There was one that was like a Valentreat aphasia, a Valentreat voice disorders, a Valentreat dysphasia, a Valentreat cognitive communication. I was like, yes, we know. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Like... Yeah. If I've ever reviewed a resume, you know, I write all the time, Um, you know, add things that are out of the box. Tell me specifics about this place. So for example, like if you put that you were at some hospital, right? I would suggest that you write that you provided services to whatever population, whether that was because I don't know if you provided services to pediatrics or adults. And if you did provide services to pediatrics, were you with babies? Were you with? So I like age ranges. So provided services to whatever population in. And then I want you to describe this hospital. And the reason that that's important is because like up here in Boone, I am at a rural hospital. We are small. We do not um, have a neuro ICU. You know, if anything really intense is going on, you are going off the mountain. We are sending you somewhere else. So that's important. I feel like my experience versus someone at like Baptist, which is our one of our big hospitals in the area, they would have way more experience in a hospital setting than, or just a different set of skills from a hospital than me in my rural hospital. So describe your hospital. It, what what level is it? Or you know, how many beds is it? Those things kind of matter. And the same if you're in a skilled nursing facility, you know, and seventy bed hospital or a seventy bed skilled nursing facility versus a 300 bed skilled nursing facility, those things matter. And then I also want you to describe the levels of care that you're providing services in. So are you going to the cardiac ICU? Are you in the neuro ICU? Are you 
going to outpatient also. Um, those things matter. Those things are important. And that kind of sets those settings apart because some people will be like, well, how do I make these sound different? That's how you make them sound different. You describe them. Another really common thing that people do, like Teresa had already mentioned, is just repeat. So they'll say skilled nursing facility, PRN. Maybe you have like two PRN jobs and they'll just say like same or leave it blank. Again, you really need to try to make it sound a little bit different. And I know it's not your full-time job. You're not in there um, making changes and making big waves because maybe you just go there after five every day, but you're still, I would put, you know, provide per diem services, how many hours you're doing that a week um, and anything that you can do to kind of make that setting stand apart. Oh, another thing that kind of goes along with that, a lot of times, so Teresa and I had mentioned that people will write in and they'll say, well, I treat um, speech and language and cognitive deficits. And then I also have a bunch of people write, I treat patients with Parkinson's and with dementia and with stroke. And I, I always erase that just because we know these things. If you're in a skilled nursing facility, I know that you're working with that. Now, I wouldn't erase it if you said something like, we have a behavioral health unit that we provide, that I provide services in, because that's not to be expected. I think for, for those types of things, what's important and what I've looked for is what, you know, what specifically did you contribute that was different than other people? You know, even like if you advocated for new assessments and got them or advocated for new treatments or brought new adaptive equipment in, or, you know, kind of when I, when I just think about, I'm sure you didn't just go there and do the same thing every single day. Like, I'm sure you did more than that. And you just have to figure out a way to communicate that to us. And, and like you said, it's so hard because I, I went on this kind of hiring spree when I was about to go on maternity leave, when I was about to have my daughter. And so I had my, I had my assistant de-identify all the resumes just because I, I know so many SLPs in SLP world. So I wanted to make sure that it was just, you know, a fair way. So I had her, you know, take, take the names off and I'm going through some of these. And I was like, Oh my, like, you know, cruddy resume. And I, you know, set it to the side and I went back through some of them later. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this person would, would have been such a good fit like, or so I thought, because I know their clinical skills are so much stronger than the way that they depicted themselves. So I went back and actually had a few conversations. Like, I know you created this program. I know that you also got this extra equipment brought in. I know that you also, you know, made a relationship with the ENT or the GI, you know, and they just didn't spell that stuff out. And they're like, oh, I didn't think you'd want to know that stuff. And yes, yes. <laughs> Anything that's out of the box, those things are so important. Yeah. So whenever you're describing some of those things, like Teresa mentioned, those specific things that you've done in that setting, it's really important that you use wording that is professional and makes you look good. So I kind of made a list of some things that I would avoid as I've been reviewing resumes just to kind of help me be able to communicate things just to keep in mind. So this again, this is just like a total... Uh, opinion, but I I would substitute the word work or worked. I think that we have a lot of better words that we can use. You know, it's it's. I mean, you can even Google resume words, and it's going to give you like a whole list of like action words that you can use. Oh, and I feel like you guys know this, but obviously your resume should be in past tense, except if you're in a current position, and then that one should be written in present tense. 
that's like a minor problem that I sometimes have to tweak on people's um, resumes. Okay. This is also just a personal pet peeve appropriate because what's appropriate. So I always kind of change that if I can. That's just yeah, being yeah. nitpicky. Do you, does appropriate make you make your skin crawl too? Yeah. <laughs> it, it goes along with the whole, you know, just like blanket terms. You know, I want to know what you did differently to set yourself, yourself apart from other people. So mm-hmm. same yeah. with et cetera. Don't use et cetera. Be specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you guys know, like when you're writing your clinical documentation, you want to use as few words as you can, but still provide the most meaning that you can to whatever you're trying to say. So I like to avoid things like as well as, because you can instead just, you know, put a comma. So even though you are wanting to present yourself very professional and use great wording, you do still want to keep in mind that you're trying to be concise in your writing. So proofread that and try to eliminate words that you can. How do you feel, Emily, about adding like I had this conversation with a few different people that they were just so focused on their clinical skills and they didn't want to write any of the, I don't even want to use the term like extraneous because they're not, they're, they're critical parts of our job, you know, going to morning meeting or going to rounds, things like that. And, and I had a conversation was kind of a small group of us were talking about it. And they're like, well, I don't want to list that stuff because then it sounds like I don't hit my productivity requirements because I'm doing these other things. And I'm like, but this stuff was part of your job. And this stuff is very important in overall patient care and overall being part of a team. You know, if I see you as a leader that is going to rounds every morning or or is reporting to, you know, the administrator on, on updates on things like that's very, that's admirable. And that has to that has to happen in the facility. So if you're the one that's doing it, that portrays you as a leader. It doesn't take away from your, you know, quote unquote, productivity requirements with patients at all. Right. I think that you should put that because that is going outside of the realm of kind of that normal job duty. I would recommend you putting those specifics in there. Things like daily or weekly or monthly, like how often, instead of just you know, collaborated with interdisciplinary team, you know, be really specific, like during weekly rounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that that definitely adds to it. Yep. So another big thing that I see on resumes a lot is kind of the people put an objective at the top. And my thoughts on the objective are that it's kind of fluffy and I feel like it repeats the cover letter. So my opinion is to leave it off. I think it looks better without it. And you're really just repeating exactly what you've written in your cover letter, which is like a whole nother thing that we'll have to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. You agree with that? Because some people don't do that. Like 100%. 100%. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it, it is just fluff. Like you said, I feel like that's where people say like objective, like to obtain a full-time skilled nursing position, assessing and treating patients with swallowing disorders or aphasia, you know, and it's like, yes, we know that's the position you're applying for. Um, So I feel like it's very fluffy as you like to say, but, but I also think, like you said, concise matters. And, and I think taking the fluffy stuff out, so you have room to write, you know, different certifications and things like that, that you have is, are way more important. Yeah. So Instead of putting all of that up there in the objective, I always just, I'll usually erase it and kind of write people a note that says, instead, highlight those things in your cover letter. And that's the big thing with your cover letter is that you you really shouldn't be repeating your resume. Nothing should be repeating because we're trying to be concise to the point. 
So when it comes to continuing education, a lot, I find a lot of resumes that list out hundreds of CEUs that they've participated in, which is great. Like we know you are an excellent SLP and you're dedicated to continuing education, but I don't feel like your resume is the place to put that unless these are biggies, biggies, like certifications that you've obtained, like MDTP, you've had your fees competency. You are, you know, do you do video stroboscopy? You're competent in that. There's other ones too that you guys know of. You know what the biggies are. And to me, that kind of should have its own section called certifications that should be at the top because that's something that you want to stick for somebody. And instead of listing out all of these CEUs, because you have to keep in mind, you're going to be an SLP for a long time. You're going to win so many ACE awards, which your ACE awards should definitely be on there under something titled like awards and honors. Yes, yes, yes. But talk about your passion for continuing education in your cover letter. You know, I am dedicated to the field. I, you know, recently participated in this CEU or I recently obtained this ASHA ASHA ACE award. That's where you're going to put that because you want that to stick out as being something that's important to you, your passion for continuing to learn. I love that. I love that so much. I think that's, that's one thing that a lot of people ask all the time is, you know, do I list out every single continuing education course I've ever taken. And I think that's hard because I think of, you know, like you said, listing the big, the biggies, the big certifications, I think obviously is super important. But then I think of like what we have in like the MedSLP collective and we have hundreds of hours of webinars. Like I really don't want you to list every single one of those out for me, but I, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you think, you know, because I think there's a difference in saying like, I attended the ASHA convention versus I took, you know, I don't know, 200 online webinars, which I think very, they very much both show your dedication to the field, but I don't think you have to list out every single topic that you took. I don't know what your opinion is. Right. My opinion would still be, I mean, I know going to a conference versus having like a membership are different. But to me, being a member of the collective versus going to ASHA is different. Like I, I mean, no offense, but like, I would say if you're a member of the collective, I'm like, oh, we're totally on the same page. Like, absolutely. Like you're in the club. So, you know, I would have a separate section that says professional memberships and affiliations. And I would, I would want to be really clear that I was a member of the collective and SIG 13 and you know, all those other things that you're members of, that you're members of your state association. But I would not want to list out all of those various CEUs. I usually take that off. Okay. I think that's great. But, you know, I feel like that's probably one of those things, you know, this isn't like a, if you feel like it's important, if you, you know, then put it on there. But I don't think it should take up a ton of room, maybe like a one-liner. And when it comes to these memberships and affiliations, if it's something that's super common, like your state association that you're a member of and you don't serve like in a um, leadership capacity, I don't think that you need to describe it. The same with the collective. I feel like the collective is popular enough, known enough where you don't need to describe that you participate in um, a group of SLPs unless maybe you're doing a specific accountability group. And then I would specify that. But if you're just a member and you do the CEUs and you participate in the forums, I feel like that's to be expected. We know that. Hello, it's me again. Got a few questions for you. 
Are you feeling the burden of imposter syndrome at work? Are you afraid that faking it until you make it really is not the right answer? Don't know how to make your case for the things you need? You can't get the administrator to agree to an instrumental? Unsure of yourself when talking to the nurse practitioner or medical director in the building? Are you looking to have positive outcomes with treatments while giving your patients the best in evidence-based practice? Are you looking for a promotion or a raise or just a positive change from where you are now in your career? Well, we have something that can help you find the solutions to these problems. Medical SLP Collective is what you need in your professional life to take your career to the next level. If you have a professional question, any professional question, we have a resource or a mentor that can help you. We also have a library of webinars registered for ASHA CEUs just for you. And if we don't have it, we will make it. We use our proprietary review process to make sure that it is based on evidence-based practice. We are a real community and we are so much better together. I am Teresa Richard and my team cannot wait to welcome you into the MedSLP Collective. Enrollment is open from May 17th to May 27th and then we will be closing enrollment down for a few months. So I hope you join us now. What, what about Emily? Because I think this one, this question comes up a lot too. So say you are a school-based SLP and you're wanting to transition to medical SLP. So you're a school SLP and you're, this resume is to apply for a SNF job. I think in that case, it would probably be more helpful to list out or not even list out, but just describe, you know, within these different memberships, within these different things, all of the coursework that you've done, all of the continuing education that you've done to show that you are committed to making this transition the right way. You've you've sought all this education, you've sought mentorship. You're not just, you know, flying by the seat of your pants to, you know, get a new summer gig while school's out. I think that's a great question. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel like I've been looking at resumes strictly from the st- the stance of you're a medical SLP and you're just applying for another medical SLP position. But you're exactly right. If you have been primarily in the educational settings and you're wanting to transition, it might be a good idea to list out that you've obtained. I probably wouldn't go into details of every Passimir CEU and every medical SLP collective CEU you've done, but maybe list list out that you've obtained, you know, 40 continuing education credits in the areas of dysphagia and maybe list those out, even though I know we've been saying this whole time, don't list that stuff out, but you have to kind of know your audience and the, the person reading your resume is going to say, well, this person's been in the school. So you've got to automatically like counter that. I know I've been in the school, but this is, this is what I've been doing to up my game. And I know if you're transitioning from a school to a medical site, you've probably had some shadowing experience or some mentorship experience with a medical SLP. That definitely deserves a top place on your resume, again, because you want to show the person reviewing yours that although you've primarily been practicing in educational settings, that you are prepared for that switch. Yep. I think that's really the key is just making sure that you're tailoring your resume to who is reading it. I think so many people have this preconceived notion that once you write your resume, that's your resume and that's who you're going to send it out to, you know, no matter if it's a school, a SNF, a hospital, home health. No, you know, you have to show it. And I think that's what's so important to me. And that's one of the first things that I look for is like, is this person tailoring this to wanting to fit into my company? And do they have experiences or if not, have they sought out experiences to learn how to fit in, into this company? You know, if I just saw 
completely, you know, rope school SLP stuff, I would not bridge, I would not assume that they've been taking, you know, CEU courses behind the scenes. We're not, you know, mind readers. So right. Help us out. No, that's a really good point. So Teresa, what do you feel about yeah. pronoun, like using pronouns when you're describing like the places that you have previously worked in the, your contributions? Like I am kind of a tr- try to avoid using pronouns at all just because I don't typically use them in my documentation. Like instead of saying like, I do this or that or this, I would just say provide blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yes. I, w- I would leave them out. Yes. Because I think, I, I think the resume, resume just needs to be as clear and concise as possible. I think the cover letter is where you can shape it to more of a, you know, personalized anecdote. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're wording to avoid the various activities and quotes. Yes. That <laughs> um, you completed your clinical swallow evaluations. Cause we know that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we hope and we pray that you did. Yes. <laughs> Something that I try to encourage my SNF SLPs to incorporate, though, if they have experience, is if you've advocated for a mobile fees company to come in or a mobile modified company and you collaborate with that provider to interpret the results and administer the assessments, because you are, I know you are if you're in that setting, um, then that's something really good to put in there. I think also what was important for me was... I worked in one sniff at one point that we did not have access to any mobile, but I had a great relationship with the hospital that we were sending the SLPs to for modifieds. Um, so I really did elaborate on that. And then when I did move to the next sniff position, they did bring that up, you know, like tell me more about how you collaborated with this other, you know, SLP at the hospital to get modifieds. And I think that was just so important because I, I really talked about you know, how sometimes medical records didn't send the report over in time, but I had a good relationship and I was able to get it. So we were able to get the patients, you know, diet upgraded right away. Like just talking about all those advocacy pieces behind the scenes that like we talked about, it's not actual productivity. It's not actual billable hours, but that stuff is so critical to getting the patient the help that they need. Absolutely. Um, Another content thing that I thought of is if you have Um, participated in presentations like you or publications, you should cite those in APA using like a hanging indention instead of like describing it all in this like long paragraph. Visually, it just looks cleaner if you can just cite it and that way the person can go to it. I think that would be my recommendation. And you can cite even like poster presentations that you've done because I see a lot of those. What about volunteer work? And do you think that's, I think a lot of people put that on. Do you think that's important? So I love volunteer work. I, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I also love like other outside related things. Anything that's related, I think is great. I think that that shows who you are. You know, you're not just this SLP that works in a hospital. You're an SLP that works in a hospital, but you also volunteer for the dysphagia outreach. Um, you also, you know, are really involved at the state level. Or, and maybe you also volunteer in your local community for some nonprofit that helps children. That all of those things matter. I think that again, you have to know your audience and you have to know, okay, how do I want to present myself? I don't feel like that should take up a ton of room on your resume, but a brief little one liner would be great. And a nice little clean, organized session, little section that would be really good. Perfect. I love it. And the same with other like outside occupations, like maybe before you became an SLP, you were a special education teacher or just, or you were a teacher or 
whatever it was, I think that most of the time, if that doesn't take up a ton of room and you can somehow tie it into being relevant to speech pathology in any capacity, then I think it's a great thing to put. Like maybe you were a caretaker for someone or you worked for a company that like home instead or something like that. All of those things could be really relevant. Yep. Awesome. I love it. So what should your cover letter look like, Emily? So when it comes to presenting yourself in writing and in person, it's really important that you present yourself as professional and humble, right? You don't want to come across too strong. So you have to think about that when it comes to your writing too. So if you're using a pre-formatted cover letter example, sometimes they can like have like your picture on it and your name, like in all bold and caps, I would steer away from that. And just because I'm kind of a basic plain kind of person, and I would just format it just like a letter, like you would when you Google basic resume format, I would have the date, I would have the name of the company, the address, and you know, to whom it may concern. And I would write out my letter. You definitely don't want this to be an overwhelming amount. I know we t- we said with the resume, it can be more than a page. Definitely don't make this more than a page. And you want to be concise in this, but also present your best self. Talk about, I know, like, if you look up, like, how do I write, how do I write a resume? It says, you'll see different things that are like, uh, why are you the perfect fit for this job? Which is great. That is what you want to talk about. But you don't want to come off too strong. Like, I will sometimes read cover letters for... Um, SLPs that maybe haven't been out in the field an incredible amount of time, or even SLPs who've been out in the field. Like I've been an SLP for, I guess, almost nine years. And I wouldn't write a resume that says, I, I know that I'm the perfect fit for this. I mean, you just have to watch, I guess, how strong the words are that you're using. Um, I would say something like, you know, I believe I'm a good fit for this as opposed to, I feel like when I was in school, they kind of taught you like how to argue with people, like avoiding like you statements and really strong things. You kind of want to do that in your cover letter too. So if you're a new grad, it's really hard for you to say, I know I have the experience that I need for this job because I read that and I say, but you are a new grad. So you know, not to be mean, but you don't have the experience that you, you know, you're going to need support. So you really just want to make sure that you're coming across humble in your language for that. Um, Don't repeat your resume. Don't, don't repeat the things that you've already said, like, oh, I worked at a hospital and I did this and this and this. Instead, think about maybe three key themes. What do you want them to read your cover letter and understand? Oh, I want them to remember that I have extensive head and neck cancer skills. Great. I want them to know that I am a lifelong learner and that I am committed to a team uh, dynamic. I'm committed to being a team player. Okay. Now, now you've got your three things and now we need to support those with examples. I think it's really important. I think sometimes when people write cover letters, they just kind of regurgitate their resume. That's exactly it. And it's also really important to just kind of put why you want this job. Why is this a good job for you? Why will you, what will you bring to the table? I think I'm trying to say this as tactfully as possible and not harsh, but I think it's very easy to tell a cover letter that comes off as I'm just sending my resume and cover letter to any open position I see, as opposed to a cover letter from a person that truly genuinely wants this position. Because 
that's the person that I want to hire. I want to hire somebody that sees themselves working in this role for years and years because the the hiring process is long and grueling and expensive for companies to do. So they don't want to keep doing it. They want to make sure that the person that they are hiring is absolutely the right fit and that they have intentions. Of course, life happens, but that this person has intentions of remaining in this job and they're going to be fulfilled in this job and they have the skills to contribute to the team. And I think for me, when I see cover letters that are all about, you know, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. But how does that translate to this role? You know, you've, you've worked on these skills. I had, I had one person that I hired that said, you know, I just was almost feeling really lost and discouraged in a previous position that I held. I hired a life coach and I really got crystal clear on what I want to do and how I want to help patients in this capacity. And I believe that in this role, I'll be able to dot, dot, dot. And it was so eloquently and beautifully tied into their skills and how they could directly contribute them to my company and how they would feel fulfilled and grow with the company too. So I think if you can somehow spin it to how those skills you have can help support what the company is looking for, that's really going to be the home run for you. And something that I also encourage um, some people to write, to include, depending on what their cover letter already says, like, what are your goals? What are your goals as an SLP? Like in five years, I really hope to be board certified in swallowing, or I really hope to start a collaborative support group with, uh, with PT and OT for patients with Parkinson's, because that tells me two different things. It tells me you are driven and you're going to work really great with a team. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly with that. So if you don't know what your goals are for the next five years, you should make some. And I know that kind of sounds funny. I just had a baby. And so my goals are kind of everywhere, but it is good to still kind of have some things that you're reaching for, even if you're not that typically that personality type. I think, you know, every every company wants to hire somebody that's going to grow in some capacity. It may not mean, you know, we grow the company revenue to $50 million or we, you know, grow the patient caseload to 2,000 patients. But it might just be something in that, you know, we are now able to offer these additional, you know, skills to our patients. You know, you want to seek out MDTP training or something like that. It doesn't have to be these huge, gigantic goals that you want to contribute to, although those, those are, you know, wonderful. But the, the, I don't, and I don't want to say little, that's not the right term, but things that that you might think are little and insignificant are not because it still helps to grow the program. If you're able to now offer more services to more patients, to reach more patients, say you, you know, have have aspirations of, you know, helping to create a, a teletherapy program, you know, that would show that you're wanting to grow access to therapy for this facility. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of things that even if you're like, oh my God, well, I wouldn't even know how to start creating a teletherapy program. That, that's okay. You don't have to know how to do things. But if you have aspirations of doing these things, I love to hear that because it may be like, oh, well, I have the infrastructure to teach you how to do that. You're willing to do it. This is amazing. And I think, you know, we hear that a lot of times with fees and video fluoroscopy. And, you know, I have aspirations of doing videos every day. I just never was at a facility that that did those. Well, great. This facility can do that for you. We'd love to get you trained and bring you in and do that. So I think the more you can 
really as, as woo woo as this sounds, put your goals and dreams and aspirations out into the universe. You never know what that facility has just waiting in the wings, hoping to find somebody that even if they don't have those skills, wants to learn those skills. Right. All right. Well, I think that's good. I think that about sums up our cover letter discussion. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? You have any helpful resources, anything you want to share? So Teresa, you probably saw my helpful resource that I chimed in. So you're the one that told me to read this book. Yay. What is it? So when I met Teresa and we were talking about my goals a while back, she recommended I read The Ideal Team Player, which is a book. Um, I actually listened to the audiobook, which was really good too. But it talks about how they've kind of boiled down three characteristics to be the ideal team player, which are hungry, humble, and smart, which really resonated with me. And if you even Google this, you can kind of take a self-assessment and figure out where you fall in those areas. Um, But the book kind of talks about how, like, if you are lacking in one, how to kind of work on that and build that up. And I love this book and I apply it even in my clinical education. I have my students complete that and kind of figure out where they are on that scale. And we talk about, because I think it's really important that I also am helping them to be good future employees and to get jobs. And I've kind of applied even those principles to professional writing when it comes to resume and cover letter writing, just because that's how I want to present myself. I always want to present myself as being those three things in my department meetings and as a department member and even at the hospital where I'm at. I want to I want them to see that I am driven and that I can accept feedback and that I work well with a team. So that would be my number one number one recommendation in terms of I need help with interviews or I need help working on my resume read that book and take to heart the things that they're saying. Yeah. So this book is written by Patrick Lencioni. And I feel like I talked about it in a different episode, but I can't remember what, but he writes, I have, I think all of his books, to be honest, my bookshelf is just all of his books, but they're so just easy to read. Some of them are only maybe like 70 or 80 pages, but they're very, he writes them almost like fiction and includes like you know, characters. So they're very easy to read. Like some of them I've read in just like a Saturday afternoon while my kids are napping. I mean, they're very short, but they are very impactful. I think the simplicity is what's so impactful about them. But I'm so glad that you that you love this because I've definitely had people in my company read it, not because I don't think they're not humble, hungry, or smart, but I think it's so important to just be aware of these of these different characteristics and how you portray them and and it's i think it's just wonderful life skills so oh i I love that that you're making your students do that emily two other technology related resources that i like you guys already know about it but grammarly use grammarly even (laughs) just from an educational standpoint of using it to write all of your emails or whatever and you'll kind of learn Oh my gosh, I always do that. And I'm going to have to work on that. And then one I recently learned about is called Sorry Not Sorry. It's a Google Chrome extension. So it is wonderful. So you download it. And now every time I write an email, like for the university, um, if I put words in it like just or think or maybe, it like underlines these words that are like not confident words. Yes, yes. I love that. Tells you why you should not say those words. Yes, 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 yes. I think, you know, that's something that I don't, 
I'm going to say stereotypical SLPs do, and I don't mean to to pin SLPs on this, but so many times we hear them say, oh, well, I would love to do this. I have aspirations of doing this, 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 but, and then they, you know, insert whatever. And I always, whenever I'm, I'm coaching people or, you know, in the group coaching programs that I do, people will start saying these things. And as soon as they say, but I'm like, no, cut it off right there. Because it's almost like we discount our, our goals. We discount our aspirations. We give ourselves reasons why we can't achieve those things. And I think you can't do that to yourself. You're allowed to have these dreams. You're allowed to have these goals and don't discount the work that you've done. Yes. And I find myself using like the words and the sorry, not sorry, like it highlighting words that I use because I'm trying to be nice. I'm like trying to dance around something like, oh, well... But it does just open your eyes to it. And y'all, we're SLPs. We know the best way to work on something is to be more aware of it. So sorry, not sorry, Grammarly and Ideal Team Player. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Emily. This has been so helpful. These are so many helpful tips. So I hope those of you that are in the collective, please take advantage of Emily. She's at your disposal. And those of you that are not, I hope you'll consider joining the collective, but that wasn't what this episode was about. I hope this episode will help you to craft a wonderful resume and really portray how amazing of a clinician you are and how many patients you'll be able to help. So thank you so much, my friend. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.